It's an especially good time to check your attitude when you've come to begin a formal time of sitting practice. And by this time on retreat, you've heard a lot of different instructions. And so it's important that we keep it simple. It's good to hear the different points of view, the different instructions. And then it's also important for the mind to understand that it's actually really simple. So for example, when we check the attitude, really what we need is a quality of interest, an actual curiosity about the way it is, a deeper sense that it's relevant, the experience that's coming and then going, worthy of showing up, worthy of being awake for, And the other component of a good attitude is this quality of care. Whether you call that love or gentleness or acceptance. So just these two qualities of interest and care. So really any time is a good time to check the attitude. And then just checking to see if there can be an authentic quality of interest, and then that quality of care. Because I care, care about this life, because I care, I'm willing to connect. They work together. The care supports the interest. And then also the interest, the curiosity reinforces how wholesome it is to have that quality of care or metta. Willing to show up, willing to include. So that's the attitude. And then the task at hand is also very simple, as you know. In any moment, something is being known. Of course, the mind is in the habit of wanting, dealing with things that are more complicated. So part of this task is to keep it simple this experience in the body is being known. The experience of sitting is being known. And then of course, if there's any reaction arising because of the feeling that's there with the sitting, then that reaction can also be known. It's like this now. And it's such a relief not to need to make something happen in our set. But with this good attitude, interest, and a deep sense of care, we go about our task as a being interested in awakening, which is to see in each moment that something is being known. And we often use an anchor at times in our practice to help stabilize and to develop some continuity of this mindful awareness that knows that something's being known. It might be as simple as breathing in, the sensations of breathing in are being known. The sensations of breathing out or being known. And of course, any reaction, any of the hindrances, any of the beautiful qualities 
there were also just something being known. And this way of practicing is in no way dismissing the different objects of experience that come and go. It's actually a way of being intimate. So it might sound cool, something is being known, but in our direct experiencing of this way of relating, everything opens up, everything becomes less tight, more clear, more free. But this, of course, is for each of us to realize on our own. So just to repeat, we have the need at times to check the attitude, see if there's an actual interest in the present moment and this quality of metta or care, a willingness to connect, a willingness to include And then the task is to recognize that something is being known. So what is that something that's being known? And can that be okay? That it's just this being known. And remember, it's really okay to use the breath or the body sensations as an anchor to stabilize the attention, but not be dependent So when other phenomena, like a reaction or a thought, a sound, then practice recognizing that hearing is being known, thinking is being known, disliking is being known, or whatever it might be. Keeping it really simple, And then finally, 
for the instructions today. Two additional themes that can support the interest in the mind. So of course we're interested in this continuity of mindful awareness. So take up as a theme, what is it that gets in the way of the continuity? Not in a tight way, but just curious about how is it that the mind loses the thread of awareness, that present moment awareness? And then with that interest in the continuity and what gets in the way, when you notice something getting in the way, get interested in the feeling tone of that, whatever it is. It might be a disturbing thought. And then be interested in what that disturbing thought feels like. Is it unpleasant? What does that unpleasantness feel like? Can the mind be interested in the unpleasantness of that thought that the mind gets caught in, gets identified with, and loses mindful awareness? So again, just to be curious about when there is the continuity of mindful awareness and then what interrupts it. Even if you have to do it in hindsight, when you come back, then in a flash, just remembering what happened. Oh yeah, that arose, there was pain. And then the mind set off in a stream of proliferation. And notice that pain. Oh, it's just unpleasant. It's unpleasant like this. And then it can be an object of awareness. Unpleasantness is being known. Can this be okay? The unpleasantness of this sensation. So let's continue in silence now.
Once again, we can check the attitude. Noticing how the mind is. Is it a mind with care or without that quality of goodwill? Is it a mind with interest or without? Noticing to whatever degree the continuity of mindful awareness, interested in what gets in the way, Notice what that feels like, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And see if you can, in a sense, make peace with its feeling. Be interested that it feels unpleasant or that it feels pleasant or neutral. In a sense, there's no real moment of awareness of being mindful if the mind isn't aware that it feels like this now, that the experience has a feeling tone and it feels like this. When there's wisdom in the mind, the mind isn't pushed around by the different feelings that come and go with experience. Because wisdom knows that it's okay to be open, to be aware that it feels like this now. So that eliminates the need to to be reactive or to get identified with the reaction of not liking or wanting, not wanting something to go away. These reactions tend to arise because the mind is unaware that it feels like this. It's just a feeling of pleasantness or a feeling of unpleasantness. And that it's possible to be awake, intimate, and let things be. Feel free to take a moment and stretch out your body if you need to. Stretch out the legs, whatever way you need to take care of the body. Four of us want to thank everybody for 
Really investing in this beautiful container that we have, the noble silence and respecting the schedule. Of course, people, especially the more experienced people, you're finding your own way to use the schedule, but to protect the sitting periods to come at the beginning, stay to the end. All of this really is a great support and it has a really peaceful feeling now. So it seems like we're all coming into the container and using it wisely. So we have some time for questions about your practice that you'd like to bring up. Yes. So the comment is about minds, plural, and uh, just noticing different minds, the mind that's thinking, the mind that's aware, and even sort of the space between the different minds. And uh, the, the real response or, you know, teaching behind your comment is, you know, can we trust what we actually experience? And do we actually need to map it out or to, to define to ourselves, tell ourselves what's happening? Do we need to do that? Like, is it a problem as we're experiencing, um, let's just say we're experiencing the mind or we're experiencing the reality of this mind and body in a, a, you know, a way that doesn't line up with the ideas that we have about the mind and body or about our reality. Can that be okay that our direct immediate experience of the mind doesn't fit, right? So there's this great uh, line from Gil Fransdahl. Some of you know him, he's a wonderful teacher on the West Coast. Maybe every once in a long while teaches out here, but um, at Spirit Rock and the Inset Meditation Center in the South south of San Francisco. And he has a statement in one of his writings, and I'll just paraphrase it, it's not exactly right, but it's something like, uh, Buddhism isn't so much about the meaning, sort of the metaphysical truth of what the mind is, as much as it is getting interested in the mind's need for meaning. You know, need to kind of have that ground, like I've defined it. This is what the mind is. And so the real answer, you know, what's the mind is your experience is an expression of the mind. Whatever that experience is, is an expression of the mind. And uh, it's a fluid thing, right? And the, the question is really not what the mind is, but is there a way to open to what we call the mind without suffering, without being tight, without the tightness of identifying or the tightness of needing ground, the sense that there needs to be ground? So is there a way to relate to that where there's no grasping, no suffering? And I think this is, you know, I gave you four things to think about, the attitude, to check the attitude, Is there interest? Is there a sense of care? And then the task, something being known. That's the basic mindful awareness approach to spiritual practice. Something is being known. So connecting with awareness, something is being known. And then the fruit of practice is a, you could say something like intimacy and not grasping or non-grasping. 
right? So being intimate with the mind without grasping, however you're experiencing it in that moment, intimate and not grasping, no boundaries, no barriers, but not grasping, not needing it to be different than it is. Yeah, thanks for the comment. Feels like the group's pretty settled. That's good. Any other thoughts or questions? Oh, yes, Tom. Feels like. Yeah, it does make sense, and I think it it really um, clearly uh, addresses where you are in your practice in moments, at least. So uh, I didn't quite catch the first part about knowing when to roll the credits, uh, but the the point Tom was making in terms of his practice is that. He has moments where the mind feels settled and clear and wise, I think you said. And then there's the next breath. And uh, so one of the things that we will always be clarifying, especially in more refined moments of our practice, is uh, the you know, relative stability and relative freedom of a moment where nothing is agitating the mind, right? So there's some stability, there's no problem, except that that moment isn't real ground. It's just something that's come together and it's something that's going to fall away. And so we do have moments of real space, real peace, real love, that fullness of love that I talked about last night but then the next breath comes or the next sit or the next thought or the next and then the next and then the next. So there's, in a way, there's two kinds of liberation. There's a very temporary liberation when the causes and conditions come together and then we experience a mind that's not being tormented, right? There's nothing agitating the mind. There's nothing disturbing the mind. And we get a sense of what freedom feels like, a mind not being tormented. But the real, the deeper liberation is when that uh, non-torment of the mind uh, doesn't have a problem with impermanence, with not being in control, not governing what's going to show up next, and then next, and then next. So that The freedom isn't just, because, you know, we could have a pretty peaceful moment. I mean, for me, it might be like sitting in a beautiful hot tub with a nice view, with a cup of green tea. And that would be good for, you know, five to ten minutes until I was ready to get out or something. But, you know, just the right, and then maybe people saying that I'm a good person. That would be helpful. Certain people (laughs) telling me I'm a good person. But it wouldn't take care of me forever because I would soon get suspicious, like, what's going on here? <laughs> this is too good to be true. So the, the real liberation is like when that next breath comes or when the next, it's like we can't, um, the part of the mind that wants ground, wants to hold on to the calm, hold on to the wisdom, so the, the deeper liberation is realizing the mind that's not dependent on anything. So one of the phrases from the suttas is dwelling independently, not clinging to anything. Right? So a mind, a heart, you could say too, 
that's not dependent on any, even the most refined and beautiful coming together of the conditions. So things are really serene. The mind, the heart is really expansive. Um, No defilements to be seen. But if the mind is, if there's a sense of somebody, something being dependent on it, then we're still practicing, right? Like interested in that, the stress of the attachment to that beautiful, expanded, beautiful state of mind. But it's a really important place of practice when we have calm, we have more expanded, beautiful states of mind. We want to be interested in the mind, if there's any contamination, any stain, like the mind needing it to stay, right? Then, then, we, then we include that in the awareness. Oh, attachments like this, attachments being known, dependency is being known. Right, we want to see that too. Time for one more comment or question. Yes. Um, so this may be just a technical question, but when, so after the Buddha was, I mean, reached enlightenment, Mara did keep coming back. And so I guess my question is then where, where is the line? That I, get? I mean, not that I'm anywhere near any of the lines, but where, uh, you're, if, if you can, if you're still seeing that, something is coming up, but noticing it and it it doesn't necessarily bother you. It's still going to keep coming up even for the people that have reached a a certain level, but it just is not, they just don't mind it. What what is the, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between being okay with it being there and and when when you've reached that point? Yeah. So she brought up the stories from the suttas where even the Buddha, after his awakening, would be sitting or going about his business. And they, you know, as these stories are described, Mara, which is like the personification of the mind's disturbances, the hindrances, doubt, things like that, would arise, kind of like the equivalent of the trickster in the Native American tradition, you know, to. But the Buddha in these stories would always see, oh, that's just Mara, that's just those causes and conditions or that. And sometimes it's external, like another person might be sort of disturbing or challenging, or sometimes it might be internal. But the point that I think you're, you're talking about is that uh, for us, you know, that happens too. And it the point is that it really tells us something about what this path of awakening is and what it isn't. It doesn't mean that somehow being free means that uh, the mind is disconnected from the rolling of causes and conditions or karma, you know, stuff happening because of past causes and conditions. Stuff still happens, you know, the from the stories of the Buddha or anybody, whether someone's fully awake or not, stuff still happens internally because of the conditioning of the mind, the personality, externally because of everything that's around, whether awake, an awakened person or just uh, somebody on the path. But more and more as we practice, awareness, mindful awareness, sees what's arising, whether it's an internal, like a memory, or an external thing, somebody doing something to me, sees it, and it's not confused. The mind's not confused by what's coming up. Oh, it's just a memory, or it's just a feeling, or it's just hearing somebody, or just feeling this, or feeling that, or seeing this, or seeing that, right? So not being confused, one way to say that is the mind, the wisdom in the mind understands that it's just nature, you know, just the lawful unfolding of causes and conditions happening here. And uh, I'll address it, I'll respond as appropriately, as skillfully as I can, but whether there's something I can do or not, not, nothing I can do, 
there's no reason to get tight because it's just stuff happening, just causes and conditions happening. And that's a nice way to do this transition we're about to do now from now to walking or maybe have a group. But, you know, things will happen and we'll see things and that will even trigger things in terms of our own conditioning. But we don't have to be confused. Like if something happens where we trip on a shoe in the, in the coat room and it's a little embarrassing, you know, we can feel every bit of that but we don't need to assume we have to suffer because, you know, in this sort of conventional sense, we did something embarrassing, right? We can just notice the physical sensations. If there's any emotional content, we can notice that's being known. If we see somebody kind of gone, giving us the eye, you know, we can even say, well, that's being known too, right? We don't have to get tight because of what's coming showing up internally or externally. It's just a big habit to get tight, but it's not a productive or a useful habit. And that's really what we're teasing out. It's like seeing those habits of getting tight, all the justifications for grasping, and seeing that it's not adding anything. So that's how we, by seeing that it's unproductive, that it's not useful, that it's not even self, we start to shed or weaken those patterns. So we'll leave it here. Just again, another um, encouragement to be interested in the transitions and not to get tight about like from here to whatever you're going to do next, but just to, in a lighter way, as Deborah mentioned yesterday in the instructions, just to see if you can stay interested in what's arising, what's coming and going. And you can like, as a something to tune into, like, well, how does it feel? Is it pleasant, unpleasant? How does it feel now in the mind or heart? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? Well, can that be okay? Or neutral, can that be okay? So wishing everyone a good day of practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate